0: Welcome into to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things here on a Monday morning on CycloneFanatic.com. As always, football and random things brought to you by our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. Every year, corn growers have a choice to make. And that choice is like a stake in the ground. One that says staying independent, staying family owned and means something on your farm. So plant your independence, plant Wiffles. Uh, all right, Jeff Woody, we... Uh, Do not have a victory Monday today, unfortunately. The
1: first non-victory Monday in In quite some time. Yeah,
0: in quite some time. Uh tough one on Saturday. Not there's a lot to talk to talk about and work our way through with this game, but uh not uh not a an overly pleasant day at Jack Dry Stadium.
1: Yeah, and I think it was it was it was funny because it's not like there was one instance of thing that happened. You know, like last year against Baylor, there's the kick return and there's the big punt return that sets up the thing, and you're like, all right, well, flip those, and the game goes the other way. It's not like there was one instance where you can pretty reliably say that this would have changed the outcome of the game. You know, obviously, the the officiating stuff, and I think Chris and Brent did a really good job of it, but and we'll talk about it too, that doesn't necessarily flip. Even if those calls don't go the same way, you still have to do a little bit of mental gymnastics to say, like, they would have won that game. Mm -hmm. It gives you a better shot, but it doesn't say, like, all right, Change this, change that, and it, and that game goes differently. While at the same time, so I had to, or, or, I got to do or this season I get to do uh, color for Drake games for the ESPN Plus broadcast, and uh, which shout out Drake Bulldogs and uh, Michael Admire and the tough loss to Marist the other day. Man, that that was a hard fought game. That was it was a very good uh, enjoyable football game. To call and watch. Uh, anyway, so but that game kicked off at one, so I got to watch the watch the first quarter of the Drake, excuse me, of the Baylor Iowa State game live. Then had to essentially pick back up in the second quarter, and then watch that all kind of on replay. And the the difficulty is, it's the first time that a young team played like a young team mm-hmm. this se- This season so far, we'd seen a young team kind of you know beat the shit out of SEMO and Ohio, like call it what it is. And then the one contested game they had was the Iowa game where that offense was awful. And, but at the same time, you still had to like, you had to show up and have that 99 yard drive. You go down, you win the game. So like a young team has not to this point played like a young team, but Baylor forces you to be really good all around all the time and you can't like take for granted or take a play here or there. And so the the bad news is that Iowa State kind of got outclassed on Saturday a little bit. But the good news is it's really good teaching tape to be able to go for the rest of the season because it's like, hey, remember all these things that we've told you to not do or remember all these things that we need to do better that we have not that we've gotten away with to this point this so far this season yeah here's what bit us in the ass so it was uh it's it's bad that it happened and that baylor outclassed iowa state but it's good that it happened in week one to be able to prepare and springboard for the rest of the season because of all the stuff you can learn from saturday
0: i uh we might as well just talk about the officiating because that was basically how the entire game started was uh was with that setting the tone uh I think that you can acknowledge the fact that officiating impacts the flow of a game while not also making it uh, the game all about the officiating. You know, I think that those can be uh, separated conversations. I thought that it was unfortunate that they made that targeting call on the fourth play of the game, and then the rest of the game had to be evaluated through the prism of that one individual call. Right. I think that led to a lot of the... Issues that fans had, you know, a lot of the times where there were plays that maybe were borderline that probably would have fallen under the same category of play that they whistled Bo Freeler for. I thought that was unfortunate. I I think it's unfortunate when that's the way that the tone is set in the game on the fourth play.
1: Yeah. and, And so there obviously there's there's three three really bad calls that went against Iowa State. There is there are and I honestly think there were two bad calls that went against Baylor. So I don't think it was an exceptional... I mean, I think it was just a poorly officiated game, just generally. It was just a
0: horrible... Yeah, the officiating was just generally bad.
1: Yeah, and I thought... So the the two things that went... You know, you forget about the ones that you get the benefit of, mm-hmm. and you remember the ones you don't get the benefit of, but there was a roughing the passer uh, when Iowa State's going into score. They actually... I think it's the one... It's the drive that end up in a field goal. It was like a minute and a half left or something like that. It was a second down, and they get called for a roughing the passer where... The defensive end, in real time, basically hit Hunter like half a second after the ball was gone. Not even half a second after the ball was gone. They call him for roughing the passer, automatic first down. They still end up kicking the field goal. And then there's the Jairo Brock one. That which, was nice of them to even it out 60 minutes later. Right. But at the same time, like you have this, this like you're talking about, the pr- the lens with which you're looking at it, you're now looking for the bad calls to happen. Yeah. And it just so happened that three bad ones in a row Went against Iowa State, and then the two bad ones uh, that went against Baylor were kind of after the game had already been decided. So when I, when you look like when you look at those games or when you look at those plays, the targeting one it, it it is what it is. I think you know Chris has said it before. There is a to take it to a different instance. There is a roughing the kicker and a running into the kicker, and there's a determination like there's an objective line between those two. You know, obviously it's I think it's if you hit the kicking leg or excuse me, if you hit the plant leg while the punter is in the air, then it's automatically roughing. Or if you do a something egregious and blast the punter for no real good reason, then that becomes roughing the punter versus running into the punter. Because running into the punter then is kind of, you assume the lack of intent on the penalty. They just kind of bumped him, still keeping the punter safe, but trying not to have every time the punter gets touched be a 15-yard penalty. That doesn't exist in targeting where there is an objective line, because there's a difference between, uh, I forget exactly who it was, but I think it was in like the Texas A&M game a week or two ago, where a guy, I mean, true Steve Atwater from 1992, spearing, you know, Ronnie Lott, top of the helmet, launching, and almost killed a wide receiver. Like that is an ejection, 15 yards, get that out. But the ones that Bo Freeler had... And then the multiple times in the game where other players, whether they're Baylor players or Iowa State players, when they make contact, almost just trying to make a tackle, like you're just doing your best to make a tackle. And sometimes your head comes down because you have shoulder pads on and a helmet and it's sometimes hard to bring your neck all the way up when you're when a running back brings their head down to match yours. There, has to, there should be something that's a difference mm-hmm. on a judgment call where it's a five-yard penalty or whatever, even if you give it an automatic first down, but something that's a delineator between the two. But that is all to say, if I'm going four over on the road and I get pulled over and get a speeding ticket, technically, am I speeding? I sure am. Like I can't argue that that's not the proper enforcement of the rule, although it's kind of BS that I got pulled over in the first place. Mm-hmm. That That's what the, the the freeler play was, is... Like, technically, yes, is that the rule? It's a little on the on the borderline of why should you have called it in the first place, but, like, once they do the review, you're going to get a call. The two egregious ones, the other worst ones were the Colby Reader one and then the Anthony Johnson one, which both of those, I believe, took place on a third down, which then make the play even harder to have happen. And, like, count those as turnovers, you know? And Iowa State had two other turnovers. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the equivalent of like four turnovers because that was a third down that would have been a sack on the reader play because MJ Anderson had a sack that would have been a third and forever. Yeah. Like third and, you know, Baylor wanted to be aggressive. They wanted to go for it on fourth down, but you ain't going to go for it on fourth and 18 from your own 25. And then the other one, the Anthony Anthony Johnson one, it would have been fourth and seven from field goal range. So it takes a touchdown, which... Drive it ended up being a touchdown and puts a field goal on the board. So that's 14 points that turns into three points because that is like a turnover. Again, at the same time, Iowa State had five, turnover against, five turnovers against Iowa and won the game. So you can overcome those things. It just makes it substantially harder to do that because of the flow of the game. So it was just it was it was hard to watch, knowing that it was wrong and also knowing that Iowa State had a chance to do something from it. They just didn't.
0: Yeah, I just, uh, I think that even that officiating crew will go back and see some of those things and know that they put on a pretty shameful performance. Yeah, that wasn't great. That wasn't great. I mean, that's like the kind of thing that I imagine they're going to be getting calls from the league offices like, yo, what the hell, fellas? Yeah. You know, know? (laughs) Like, like, what are we doing here? And that's, I mean... It sinks because it was an eleven o'clock in the in the morning game on national television on ESPN two. You know, in between two good teams, like I thought that both of those teams are still really good. You know,
1: I, yeah, and I'm not and I'm not even remotely disheartened. No, from Saturday no. from I, having lost to one of the best teams, if not the best team in the conference. It's yeah, you just it's unfortunate that that's how the tone of w- your college football watching experience started with that.
0: Yeah, and it just is on it. I mean I think from an Iowa State perspective you have to be happy because that team didn't flinch. Mm-hmm. They never blinked, you know, even though even when they're down 17 to the defending conference champions, they're still continuing to try and work their way back in the football game and and give themselves a chance with they which, you know, to their credit they did to an extent, got the chance to get the onside kick and try and go down and score a touchdown, but uh you know like I said, I thought it was unfortunate that the, from the fourth play of the game, that was the prism that to which Everything else was looked through. So then everything else was going to be, especially from a fan perspective, was going to be based on criticizing the officials, you know? Right. And, I, and like, you can't avoid that. This isn't the first time that we've had this happen.
1: Uh, and boy, I, do we know how to criticize officials. Well,
0: and I was going to say, I think I would much rather have this happen in, in week one of Big 12 play against Baylor than have it happen like it did in, in Arlington on like the third play of the game to Hashim Young, Young, right. you know? So I don't know. Hopefully, Bo Freeler will learn from this and he can move forward. But I just I thought that that was the thing I didn't understand about the Colby Reader one. Why was that real? Was that called unnecessary roughness? I, I could have seen if they wanted to call pass interference right. or I don't know illegal contact or like I don't know what the college rule is for that. But I didn't understand why that was unnecessary roughness unless it was deemed a hit
1: on a defenseless receiver. I think that's what it was. so the thing mechanically. You, you have to, you know, I, at some points I feel bad for the white hat in that situation because like that guy has to relay a call that he's trusting his crew to have made the right call because that's not his call. That one was not his call to make. Yeah. And so that was a play over the middle. He's not watching that. He's watching holding and he's watching the quarterback action likely and someone called that. So my thought on the reader one specifically and we'll get off of officiating here shortly but like. My thought on the reader one is when you watch it through the eyes of the official, you can understand why you would say something fishy happened. You know, like to use another basketball example, if a moving screen happens away from the ball, like you're trying to free up a shooter on the baseline or something like that. And it kind of looks like there's a moving screen where like a guy's uh, uh, the trailing defender kind of like his hip kind of pops around Mm -hmm. a guy where that kind of looks like he got hit sideways and not straight on and you see the action of like that guy's hip kind of popping around on the baseline but you didn't get a clear shot at it you can't blow that play dead in basketball you can't call that foul if you didn't see it happen you just you saw the aftermath and assumed that that aftermath was caused by something illegal in the same way that like if you're looking at it through the through the eyes of the official that reader play if i didn't see reader actually hit the guy which i would assume he did not i would assume that he saw a F- Baylor's guy's feet up in the air from getting what looks like boom, just, you know, boomsticked, laid out. And then you see a linebacker shuffling away from that play. It kind of, you would put, it, it looks like you would put two and two together to say that must have been something illegal. And so then by seeing the feet up in the air and a linebacker leaving the area, you go, ah, in order, in, the only way for this to have happened was if he collided with him maliciously, but if you didn't see the action in the first place, I don't know how you can call that play without knowing that that if you didn't see it, it's
0: like uh, it's like the officials calling a foul for LeBron James because LeBron misses a layup, right? Like Le- LeBron's not missing that layup unless he gets fouled. Yeah, it's, you know? the,
1: it's the it's you know, there's no way he doesn't. Well, if he doesn't, if he if he didn't get fouled, he's going to dunk that or well, whatever. Well, and I imagine too, it was a similar
0: thing with the play that Anthony Johnson was called for, where. An official looks at it and it's like, Anthony Johnson's what, 6'2", 200 pounds, and he just took down a six foot five 310-pound offensive lineman and, and made him crumple
1: off- to the ground. And he landed on top of Anthony Johnson, yeah. which you would, again, put two and two together. The aftermath of that play yeah. looks like what happened was he did the illegal thing to cause that to happen. But there, again, I think this is probably going to go as teaching tape for the officials to say, like, fellas, if you don't see the action occur and you only see the aftermath, you cannot assume that the action occurred. You can just, you can think that. And then you can also even talk to your, you know, if you throw the flag, talk to your buddies, say, did anybody see this? I think I saw this. And they say, nope, I didn't see it. Didn't catch that one. Wave the flag off. Say there is no penalty. Put the flag back in your pocket. Play on.
0: I know that they knew they messed up because they didn't throw a flag on Matt Campbell when Matt Campbell was out at the numbers to yell at the official. I was like, this dude is as far on the field as he's possibly going to be. And they're just... They're not going to do anything about it. They're like, yeah, we missed this one.
1: I've only seen him that mad twice. Yeah. One was in the Big 12 championship game uh, when they had like the offsides false start thing where it was very clearly uh, against penalties that should have been called against Oklahoma but weren't. Um, And this one and that one. Mm -hmm. Like, I I like one of the things they were talking about with the, especially with the Anthony Johnson one, you could read his lips of saying like, how are we supposed to play this? Yeah. If that's a penalty... I have a 200 pound dude taking on a 330-pound dude running at full speed. How are we supposed to play this without my guy getting killed?
0: Well, I do think that's a new point of emphasis, which I do think is probably a good rule because I think that there's probably a lot of offensive linemen that have gotten hurt trying to go yeah. out there and run on those screenplays and things like that and get cut out at the knees and you tear an ACL. You know, so like I think the rule is with is in good faith. Like I think it's the right we probably need a rule like that. But it's also like you don't just call it because you thought it looked kind of like what right. that thing you thought it was. Yeah, you, you know? can't.
1: You can't assume that there was a penalty that occurred to cause the outcome that happened.
0: Right. All right. Like you said, there's a lot more to this game. I'm not. I. I don't. Blame, I'm not blaming the officials. I think that there just needed to be an acknowledgement that the officiating did play a role in the way that the flow of the game was uh, conducted. How did you feel about the way Hunter Decker's played in this game? By far, I would say his worst performance of
1: his four starts to this point. But we kind of saw that coming, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Like you and I have been, ha- been on this train for two years now, is that you get a new quarterback in, you need to get three games under your belt, and then the defensive coaches can see what the other three teams that have full game film on you, what are they doing to cause you to do the thing, to, to struggle? What do you like seeing? What do you not like seeing? And I'm going to give you as much on your plate of what you don't like to see as you can. What did we say they were probably going to do? probably going to take away number eight mm-hmm. and they're going to bring pressure to get him off his spot and off his rhythm
0: which we're learning a lot harder to take away number eight than is a lot easier said than done to take away
1: number oh eight. for sure yeah. I mean, he still had what like eight catches for 84 yards yeah he's still pretty damn like he's an all-american if at yeah. this po- if he continues even 80 percent of his production through the first four games for the rest of the season he is an all-american you cannot tell me that xavier hutchinson isn't if this if it were to be a like uh all Amer- like midseason all-American team, he's got to be on the first team. Mm-hmm. So he's really good. But at the same time, they did take. I mean, for the for the most part, his he number eight is the primary option on. I would say sixty percent of all route concepts. I, I, he's got to be at least the that primary option. But he was taken away for the most part, and really he started to get back in the game once Jalen Knoll was able to prove that he is a suitable second option that you can't just sell out exclusively to stop number eight and then guys out of the backfield you can do you can do things to get away from that but the things that hunter didn't do all that well were things that he's not done all that well for the first few weeks it just hadn't mattered and we hadn't necessarily seen it because you're beating the shit out of SEMO in ohio and then you're playing you win the game against iowa but like all, there's a lot of good, mostly good, so far through the season. Even on Saturday, it was still mostly good for 100-deckers. But there was still some bad. And that some bad, like th- the easy ones that he missed were similar to what he has missed in the past. So in the Ohio game, and I remember we were talking about it, uh, Was I was talking with my father-in-law and mother-in-law before we left for our trip to South Carolina, um, that we like notice that he was a little bit off. Like it was the first time Deckers made bad plays and it was in the Ohio game. He kind of, I think Eli Sanders was out in the flat and just kind of chucked one at his feet. And you're like, well, that's weird. Normally he doesn't miss that. Well, mechanically, he didn't set his feet to throw. He didn't take an, the, the full seriousness of that checkdown, and you're up 34 against Ohio, whatever, not a big deal. Well, against Baylor, the same thing happened. There was two or three kind of checkdown plays where he kind of just all armed it, you know, like a second baseman throwing to first base. He didn't set his hips to throw, didn't set his feet to throw, and the ball trailed low and outside, mm-hmm. which is what's going to happen when you don't set your feet and don't set your hips to throw. And those kind of things, when you're playing Ohio and you're up by 20 in the film room the next day or that next week, you look at it and you go, hey, 12, you got to, I mean, you have to step into this throw. We can't have this again. But Let's look at the next play when you threw this touchdown pass like that was really cool and you kind of like breeze by it because it's not it, it's not consequential but now that there's a game that that mistake was consequential, that's a big difference I would I would bet based on what Hunter has done for the past and just Campbell teams generally, I would imagine next week you're not going to see those you know you're not going to see a lack of solid technique of just getting your hips and setting your feet to throw and taking the intention even though it's a checkdown. Get your feet where you need to go. Mm-hmm. They're go. That's a correctable thing. So Hunter played fine, but like little technical things that he didn't get to do, he will likely correct and be able to do going forward. And even on his interceptions, I mean, I think,
0: especially the first one, that, that was like the second play of the second half of the game. Uh, the only thing I think he could be accused of wrongdoing on that play for is potentially the fact that he hung Xavier Hutchinson out to dry to get destroyed by a guy running across the middle of the field, which like shit happens, you know, like you're playing football, it happens, but that was still a good throw right on the money, right into X's hands. And it just so happened that the safety came flying in to pop the ball up in the air, bounces off another guy's chest into another guy's hands. And then all of a sudden it's interception. So it's like, it's a crazy play. Like if they ran that same thing 10 times and it's all of the results are the same, it might be an interception like three out of a, three of those plays.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and the other one, the other interception is a fourth down mm-hmm. and didn't he, matter. anyway. didn't matter. And he's trying yeah. to force the. You don't know, get a first down. Just, like, throw it to, I'm, I'm going to trust that number eight's going to make a play. In fact, I always say gain field position on that play. Yeah, and, like, you just you, yeah. you knock that down. But, like, every defense no defender is going to not take the chance to get an interception. So, like. Got to get your moment, bro. Got to get your moment. You got to go get the turnover belt. Do they have a turnover belt? I doubt it. I don't. Dave Aranda doesn't seem like a turnover belt guy. He seems like a turnover handshake. Yeah. You get well, a, did you see. Did You, you, get, you see, get a firm handshake. Did
0: you see the video of him during the game? No. Oh, the hard ass slap! Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That you get, was a wind-up.
1: You get a turnover ass slap from Dave Aranda. <laughs> and it's not. An a, it's not like a uh, an ass slap. That's like a, a pat. Like yeah. not. It's not nice, putt, buddy. What it's, do you
0: think? What do you think would hurt more, an ass slap from Dave Aranda, or the or a punch straight into your into your butt crack? <laughs> yet, like yesterday in uh, in the Miami uh, Bills game,
1: I saw Mike Golick Jr. tweeted. Uh, it was just like a picture of the football, like. It looked like poop's coming out. (laughs) Yeah. It was like mid cheek rattle Mm -hmm. on the punt. And he said, I'm going to tell my children, this is how footballs are born. (laughs) Which is, oh man, that, that would hurt so bad. Yeah. Luckily. I mean, hopefully it wasn't like square in the crack and it was like just off to one side. Well, and then you, the ball went flying. So you know it like it was hit
0: hard because it, it went flying off of his butt, you know? <laughs> well, and I'm sitting there and I was like, man, of all the things I think that could have happened right there, that might have actually been one of the better ones, like of the negative things that could happen for Miami in that scenario, you know? Because at least the, the
1: Bills didn't recover it, you know? You, I think uh, that, that's when you watch in film and you're like, uh, hey, I think you earned that one. It was the first time the guy ever
0: had a punt blocked, and it was because his per- his personal protector got... Kept drifting. Kept drifting like backwards. If yeah. you're
1: the personal protector, you have... To, like, your heels are on a cliff. You can't go backwards because if you do, you get a football up the asshole.
0: We're never going to not... See, that's like... That one's going to live forever.
1: God bless the Miami Dolphins. Yeah.
0: Man, somehow they won that game, though. I, that was that was something else. And
1: Ken Dorsey had a meltdown.
0: Yeah, that was something else, too. Uh, but yeah, I, I... That's like where with Hunter... I I don't really blame him for that. You know, I don't know. It's just like shit happens sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I think you know? the
1: other thing that you're going to get is that Dimitri Stanley played really well. I thought Jalen Noel had his best game of the year. Uh, Deshaun Hanneke didn't quite play as well as he normally had. I think yesterday
0: was the first time that you sit there and you're like, man, we like you really miss Charlie and Chase.
1: Yeah. You and, know, and especially because you can help out in the run game a little bit more with those two guys because as, as good as. Um, Easton Dean will be as good as Deshaun Hanneke will be they're not Chase Allen in the run game no I don't think that uh, there's no tight end and maybe Tyler Moore by the time he's a senior is going to be a just a mauler mm-hmm. on the offense or in offensive run blocking but they don't have that guy who so like Grant Schreiber had a rough day and he's the blind side protector of Hunter Deckers because Decker's a lefty so your right tackle is really important without a a guy, like Jared Russ is good, but his involvement in the offense isn't as a downhand tight end because that's just not his game. Like his game is being a fullback, colliding with linebackers, hitting safeties, leading plays. So you don't have that guy that can help in the run game, contain or cause get an edge. Where you know you, how many times do we see Brees Hall in the last two and a half years, kind of you know do his patient slowing down, and all of a sudden one of the sides of the offensive line just caves in. And he pops his way out. Well, there you go. So, like, in the past game, you missed Charlie because you can just see him. Like, he's right there. But I think over time, they're going to develop what that looks like. They just – this is the first time that Dave Aranda, who is one of the best defensive coaches in the in the country, if not the – you know, conference, if not the country, has f- three games of game film on this offense with Hunter Deckers. What does he like to do? What are we going to make him do that he doesn't like? And – now Iowa State has this like okay what are teams going to do to us what are the, what are they going to try and do how are they going to try and do the thing that that they're accomplishing so I think Jalen Knowles probably going to end up being the guy who be who's the new Charlie and he kind of did that role on Saturday he just wasn't quite as it's third and four we got to get five that he didn't necessarily do that as well as Charlie did but like they're going to find alternative ways to accomplish that task. It's just you didn't know how they're going to play you, you know? Again, basketball example. If you got a team that's got a good point guard and whatever, and you're just playing the non-conference for four games, and all of a sudden you have uh, the talent steps up because you start playing either non-conference or like the Big 12 ACC Challenge or whatever, mm-hmm. and they start as soon as the point guard crosses the, the, the half court line, they're going to meet him with pressure. And now you have to figure out, What you were doing before is completely taken away. How are you going to do this again? Three games later, they're going to do enough to release that so they can go back to doing what they want to do. They just haven't figured that out yet. And so I think in time, this offense is going to be able to adjust to the adjustments. It's nice that they have probably the worst defense in the conference to play against that this Saturday to figure that out, to be able to go, okay, this is what Baylor's going to do, which is probably what Oklahoma's going to do, which is probably what Oklahoma State's going to do, which is probably what Texas is going to do this is how we're gonna take away or this is how we're gonna counter what they're taking away.
0: How'd you feel about the run game? That's a good defensive front for Baylor. Those guys have those guys along the line are a load. They're at least the nose
1: tackle's probably a top two or three round draft pick. Yeah, that that guy is something else. The Ike. He <laughs> came out, so we did a I do a, a show for a pre like the Sci-Hawk game day for mm-hmm. channel five. And uh, we shot it on the field, which is really cool. And at <laughs> the IKEA he came down and he was wearing like a traditional like Polynesian skirt with like a dress shirt and his beats. And I was like, who is this school bus in a Polynesian skirt? Well, Oh, okay, this nose tackle. Got it. <laughs> Got it. He's yeah. an absolutely massive that human being. That guy's
0: tough. Yeah, he's a good player.
1: And so it was hard to move the ball. But again, it's that thing. It's that thing. They don't have Chase Allen and Triber and had a rough day. And the interior played fine, but not great. But you're playing against, that's the best interior front that Iowa State's going to see. In the conference, I, I would say E.K. is the best interior defensive lineman they've seen. I still think Iowa's defense is better than Baylor's on mass. Um, but without Remsburg at tackle and Triber having a rough day, whether or not he is better or worse, he, Treiber had a rough day. And without Remsburg there to be able to pick something up, a nose tackle doesn't matter as much if you can run on the edges. But if you can't run on the edges, then the nose tackle matters a lot. So I thought the run game was... It was fine, but not great. I think a lot of the the total rushing statistics were hampered by the Deckers. I think he has like nine carries or something like that for like negative 11 yards. So like you take away those nine carries for negative 11 yards, and it was still a fine rushing performance. It was probably three yards a carry-ish. So it, it it just wasn't great. Like Baylor outclassed Iowa State.
0: All right, let's flip it over to the Iowa State defense going up against that Baylor offense. Uh, walked away pretty damn impressed with Blake Shapin. The kid's a baller. I mean, 19 to 26 for 238 yards, three touchdowns. Some of the throws that he made, especially in the second half, with Will McDonald in his face and you know, getting away from pressure. I, Onions. That kid can play. Yeah. Onions. Yeah, he's a real
1: deal. It was he was yeah, he's he was consistent. I think that's probably why. You know ultimately I would, does Gary Bohannon have a bigger arm? Probably. Probably. Is he a better athlete? Probably. Probably. Does he make as good of decisions? Probably not. Probably not. No. Nope. Like that's why Shapin got the job in the first place is that like he I don't know if he can physically do everything that Bohanan could. Like maybe he has that that baseball arm like maybe he can sling it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But the thing is is you're he's not going to put his team in trouble. Like Baylor's offense is the offense Iowa wants to be. It's good decisions. It's easy plays. Every once in a while you take a shot. Right. But three touchdowns and no interceptions on 26 pass attempts. Perfect. That is as good of a game as you could possibly have for a quarterback. And then just trust the fact that over time, we're going to wear your defense out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you flip the game. Those, those bad calls don't happen, which, again, just count them as turnovers. Turnovers don't beat you. Turnovers just make it harder. And those bad calls don't happen. The game is tied. You are not going to run the ball 90% of the time in the second half. Perhaps you don't wear the defense down as much. Perhaps you have to press a little bit more. Perhaps the game changes. But that game went exactly as Baylor would have liked it to go. And Shapen did a really good job in executing it, especially with all the pressure that was going on.
0: I thought you could tell that they had seen something on film that they really liked when they ran the same goal line play, just opposite directions uh, for both their first two touchdowns um the little bootleg pass to the tight end who came who just kind of slipped out as Colby Reader crashed down towards the line of scrimmage I was like yep they knew what they were doing there I mean they ran it twice it was the same play both well, and, ways and
1: I think you know with the with Colby Reader now I mean did he have his best game That's no. uh, probably his worst game yeah. of the of the season so far but that's also his first time playing Baylor mm-hmm. you know like it's the first time playing a really fast really good offense it's going to be great teaching tape for him right? to say like, well, yeah, they really challenged him. They said, all right, kid from Delaware, see what you're made of. And he, I think the thing that he was probably not necessarily lulled into thinking, but like what he probably played with thinking is in the run game, they were telling him, you got to stop the run. You got to stop the run. So any run action, he's hard pressing down to his gap. That's the thing that Mike Rose did so well last year is that you look off tackle and you're like, There is so much space. Then all of a sudden, the running back tries to bounce it, and Mike is just like, boom, sucked down right there. Yeah. But Reeder was already there in situations because he didn't trust that he can get there in space. So now you have, again, like with Deckers and the technique of throwing to the flat, of getting your hips, getting everything set towards the throw. Like, take it for serious that you have to throw this.
0: For realsies. Take it for realsies.
1: For darn (laughs) seriousies. When now that you're playing against faster teams that understand what this defense is that have the capacity to execute against it. You got to keep your responsibility. You can't crash that hard, even though you're going to be there, you're good enough to do it. Just don't go that fast. So like, this is his first time playing against a fast defense or excuse me, a fast offense in this defensive front for the, you know, he's been here for what? Eight months now. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that he's encountered that he's going to encounter it again on Saturday because Kansas offense is for real. And they're going to do similar things. So he's got the opportunity to learn from this tape and attack it differently next week.
0: Uh, I thought we saw this was one of those games where we really saw how much you miss Eni wasrique Man. And just having his versatility. And then, two, I did not think their tackling at the second level was very good throughout. Well, Espe- especially against the run. And that's where like missing Bo, like you, and, th- and that's like the thing that's so. You know, you look at, like, the pro football focus grades and things like that. And which it's like aren't Mason, perfect, No, but. which aren't perfect, but. You know, a guy like Mason Chambers who does not grade out very well that had to play a lot more snaps because a guy like Bo Freeler is not there. There's a reason Bo, Bo Freeler is a 50-snap guy. And there's a reason that Mason Chambers is not a 50-snap guy. You know, and, like, that's the kind of stuff that it's, like, when you lose a player like that, you're going to lose some things. Especially
1: you know? in that position. In that's that the position, one that, yes. That's what Aishim Young played last year. It's what Bo's playing this year. Uh, it's what Greg Eisworth played his first few years. That guy is going to be a top three tackler on the year because he has run responsibilities in the box. And he's a good player. And he's a good player. Yeah. And so like, you have run responsibilities in the box. If there is something that pops through, the play that he got called for targeting was exactly where he's supposed to run fit. Well, Mason Chambers isn't as confident and as comfortable doing that as Bo is. That's why Bo's the starter. Mm-hmm. So, like, the secondary—well, really, is the safety specifically. Anthony Johnson. That Anthony dude, Johnson had a great game. That dude's going to play in the NFL. Like, if he's not a— I think Malik Verdon will play in the NFL, too. All three of those guys probably yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Bo,
0: Johnson, and— Oh, and TJ Tampa? Man. Dude, that guy is something. Those—the
1: corners— I think those two uh Did they uh,
0: have, I mean do you, I can't remember a single time where I was like man those corners are having a bad day.
1: Miles Purchase and TJ, TJ Tampa have separated themselves. They are really good as the two guys. Yeah. Cuz uh Tavon Kyle and Darian Porter can still come in and they probably will uh, like depending on you know like TCU and Tech are more spread out than uh Baylor and Kansas and Kansas State are going to be so yeah. like as you get to these more wide open offenses you might bring in Tavon Kyle as a nickel to play in a, or the to replace to Anthony replace Johnson Anthony Johnson or something snaps. like that yeah, or whatever yeah. or you know or to replace Verdun like whatever it is but right now like those two guys with purchase in Tampa you almost can't take them off the field they are so good Tampa's I, like his athletic his play has finally caught up to his athleticism yeah I mean they can't <clears throat> You I, you can't think of a single time where you sit there and they're like,
0: man, they're picking on one of those cornerbacks. Like they just can't do it. You yeah, know? those two guys have just been really good, and then they'll hit you, man. Like Miles Purchase isn't a very good, a very big guy, but when he gets somebody and he's got to bring somebody down in the uh, on the edge, you know, setting the edge in a run play, like he gets it done.
1: You yeah, know? and you can see his personality is like he has an infectious on field personality. Yeah, when he's getting fired up, everybody else gets fired up. So I think the secondary if Bo is able to play, which we haven't seen him play a full game yet in two weeks. Yeah. And you know, just the entire season, because he's getting pulled against SEMO. He gets hurt against Iowa. Doesn't, doesn't play against Iowa for the, for the entire, for the, he doesn't play a whole game against Iowa. It was held out against Ohio. So doesn't play at all against Ohio and then gets ejected four plays in. We haven't seen a whole game of Bo Friedler yet. So the secondary is probably, I think the secondary is fine. It's just how are they, you know? Is there enough depth to make it work? I'm sure there is, but this is going to happen at some point later in the year. Like somebody's going to get ejected for targeting. Just it's going to happen. Yeah. Is it going to be Bo? Who knows? But if you get ejected for targeting more than once, is there a
0: stiffer penalty? I don't. I think was so. just wondering about that because I know that there is an appeals process now with targeting that they can get those plays like knocked off, which made me think that maybe you can get a. More significant suspension if you're ejected for it multiple times. I wonder. But if I don't know.
1: I wonder if it's like a, uh, not necessarily a three strikes and you're out thing, but like you get one as an accident, two as a warning, and then like your third one might be yeah a larger. I was just consequence. wondering about that
0: because I knew that they had put in that appeals process at some point where, if – I think that's more though if you get ejected in the second half, then you can come back and appeal to oh, be sure. able to play the, next week. So I just wasn't sure, but uh. Well, they're going to need him on Saturday going up against this Kansas offense, I think. Kansas offense is
1: for real. They're the real deal. I think their defense is still pretty bad. They're not they're not good. Like they're still pretty undisciplined on defense. Like they'll give you the numbers. I pulled them up. They'll try and I think just even from a play like from a a, just a a eye test with Kansas defense. They'll try and do stuff where they want to be the one that knocks that causes a fumble by hitting a slot receiver really hard and in doing that they exploit their defense they expose their defense to worse things happening so uh they they have the the chance of being really good or really bad like it's a a big gamble for that defense but their offense is legit kansas second in the big 12
0: averaging 48 and a half points per game who's above that Oklahoma State averaging 51.7, but I don't think Oklahoma State played on Saturday. Uh, they've only played three games so far. Um, Kansas is ninth in the Big 12 in scoring defense, 27.3 points per game.
1: It's like inverted Iowa. They're 10th
0: ni- they're, they're in the league in total defense, 402.5 yards per game. They're actually only sixth in total offense. Uh, but rushing, eight, rushing and-
1: offense, they have to be first,
0: right? Second behind Kansas State, mm. eighth in rushing defense, eighth in pass defense. So Their
1: and, then defense, they're, and then
0: they're tenth in defensive efficiency. So like they're not you're not playing the eighty five Bears here. Right. Their defense
1: know. is still Kansas E. Kansas ish. Yeah. It's not full Kansas. Yeah. Like it had been the fat it's the Kansas best. Light. It's or, can-
0: or no mm, not Kansas Light because I feel like
1: that would make him that would be worse. It's Kansas adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not true Kansas. It, it's, it's just like, Kansas adjacent.
0: This is uh, this is like Missouri Kansas defense. You know, like you're on the you're in Kansas City right now ah, on yeah, the yeah. Missouri side of the Kansas. Uh, yeah, it's not Kansas totally City.
1: it's not totally in Lawrence. It's like yeah, uh, it's you're t- not Topeka.
0: You're not yeah, you're not in Kansas, it's, but you're like you know you're in the vicinity. Uh, but I mean. Daniels is Jalen Daniels is a real deal. He's dude. a real deal. And yeah. 11 touchdowns, one interception for him so far. And this they're,
1: year. they're using him in situations that he can be successful. It's the square peg, square hole type thing where what does he do really well? He's a fine pocket passer. It's not like he's, you know, he's not Peyton Manning back there trying to, you know, surgically take apart a defense. Right. It's the fact that he is one of the fastest guys in the field who has a cannon for an arm and makes good passes when he makes a good read and so you take away the number of reads that he has to make and then you have really athletic guy who can get in space and make accurate throws okay well let's take away the amount of reads that he has to do and we're going to be successful and then by doing that you force openings for your run game to actually come through and then i think part of it is like this is this is just the difference in belief you know like this team obviously they brought in a bunch of transfers in a bunch of new guys like and Leipold is it's his second full year. He's, you know, whatever, but like, this is just belief that they, they are confident in what they're doing and believe that what they are doing is doable. You know, like they are, they totally trust that they can actually be successful. They also haven't had any reason to prove why they haven't been. I think this is the, this will be the best defense that like Iowa state will be by far the best defense they've played this year. And, uh, depending on how well they play the run, I it, it seems like Iowa State will... I mean, if they're averaging 48 and a half, they're definitely going to bring that average down. Mm-hmm. It's just how far is that average going to come down. Jalen
0: Daniels complained 71% of his passes for 890 yards, 11 touchdowns, one interception. He's also ran the ball for 320 yards and four touchdowns. Has only been sacked once through four games. Uh, and they're just putting him in good spots. Pretty, yeah, pretty damn good player. Um, The quarterbacks in this league are no joke. I think that we that was proven again on Saturday. You look up and down the league, there was a bunch of quarterbacks balling out. You know, even you look at a team like Tech, who, you know, Donovan Smith might not be someone who's gonna scare the hell out of you, but we know how good that kid can be. (laughs) We learned that out last year. And obviously Texas learned that yesterday, too. That kid's a baller. Does this feel
1: like this is the I think this is the best the league has ever been, 10, 1 through 10. I this feels like the basketball season. Yeah. Doesn't it now? Granted, the difference is that you don't have like, like Garrett, whoever the wins, the big 12 in basketball is going to get a one seed Mm -hmm. pretty much regardless of the record just because of the depth of it. And, And it's recognized that the depth is that good, but it feels the same, you know, like who's the worst team in the big 12 in basketball. I there's a you could maybe pick a couple like it's like the
0: 10th place team is going to win a lot of is going to win basically every mid-major league in the country. Right. You
1: know, and it feels the same. it It's not like like the difference between one and 10 yeah. is really, really small. And I was trying to have a conversation and there was like a rational Big Ten fan that I was talking to about this. The Big 12 is the deepest league in the country. Not close. They also don't have Ohio State. Mm hmm. Or so like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, I think have pretty clearly separated themselves as they always do, as these three are the best teams, and you can beat them, but you got to have a like a like a really solid day to beat these teams. So like you it, let's take those teams individually out of their conferences, because Michigan I think is is pretty good, but like there's still faults in Michigan that doesn't make them as dominant. So you just randomly put. All- I don't know if Clemson even. No, they don't. Belongs they're, in that conversation anymore. Their offense, is, I mean, Uyagale like, has had a fine game, but he also does some really dumb stuff, too.
0: I just don't think that they, every time I watch them, I'm like, man, they just do not have the same level of athletes that they did several years ago where it was, like, night and day yeah. compared to
1: other ACC teams. They're
0: right. They're, like, they're still really good, don't get me wrong, but they're just, like, pretty, they're really good compared to normal people now.
1: And the same thing with USC. Like, they are yeah. not, they're not... Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia yet. But, so let's take, now let's, let's remove those teams because yes, they're technically in the SEC and technically in the Big 12, but like you put everybody else in the conference and hell, let's even include them. And you you have this like this big bingo roller, you know, and you put a little ping pong ball with each team mm-hmm. in each conference and you say, all right, we're just going to roll this ping pong ball and we're going to take one team out from the Big 12. We're going to take one team out from the Big 10. We're going to take one team out from the Pac-12 and one team out from the SEC. The odds that the Big 12 team drawn... Beats any other team are pretty damn high. Yeah. Because as much as you have, you know, the Big Ten has Ohio State and Michigan, but they also have Nebraska. They also have Northwestern. Northwestern. Like there is a bottom where, with Kansas being good and Texas Tech being good and TCU being being good, West Virginia being good, like any team at random pulled from the Big 12 is better than most teams, than pretty much any team at random drawn from the other conferences. Are the Is the top as strong? We'll see. I don't know. I thought the Big 12 had a pretty good non-conference, but you can't know that. So if Baylor played Ohio State, how's that going to go? Probably Ohio State wins. If you played it 10 times, Ohio State probably wins eight or, eight or seven or eight of those. But Baylor gets two or three. Oh, same thing with Alabama, Georgia. Do they probably win eight or nine of those but you still pick off one of them but you play wake forest against oklahoma state oklahoma state probably takes that game Mm -hmm. so it's like this conference the difference between one and ten is really really small which is not true of any other conference which is i think once we get to the 12 team playoff is going to be really beneficial for the big 12 because you're going to have a lot of depth and a lot of quality where you're going to get some at-large bids because you can't tell me you know, by the end of the year, if everything plays the same, and let's say the the standings are Baylor 1, Oklahoma 2, Oklahoma State 3, Kansas State 4, Iowa State 5, and each of those teams has like three losses or less. It's like two losses wins it and three losses is after that. You can't tell me that two of those teams aren't the best 12 teams in the country because of how good the competition that they've had to play. Yeah. With the four-team playoff, they're going to knock themselves out of the playoff because the winner of this conference is going to have two losses. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. There is no way anybody runs all the way through this conference. So there's going to be – the Big 12's not going to get in the playoff this year, but with the 12-team playoff in the future, you get an automatic bid and you're likely going to get at least one at large depending on how the conference shakes out.
0: I'm all the way here for the Adrian Martinez Redemption Tour.
1: Man, that's a, that's a change.
0: I flipped uh, Saturday night as I watched, uh, watched the Wildcats upset uh, uh, Oklahoma down in Norman. The play that he made on 3rd and 16 to extend their drive that ultimately won them the game. Impressive. And I, I was texting with Chris. I was like, you know what? I'll admit it. I think it was a Nebraska problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was... Uh, I mean, they, they're fine. Turns they're, out when the kid had somebody to block for him, things really changed. And when they are put have a, a scheme that does what he does well. Yeah. When we talked about Daniels for Kansas. Like... Dude, if you were to have him play like Tom Brady plays, and you're going to throw it 46 times a game, he's going to have two rushing plays, and that's it.
0: You see Tom Brady scooting yesterday, broke his uh, broke his, his knee, knee brace, running yeah. so
1: fast on the on the slide, yeah. got it caught. That's just pure athlete right there. But like with Adrian Martinez, what he was doing at Nebraska is just like. He was, he was you know? It was Joey Harrington, you know. is
0: bullshit. It was just
1: stand back there and just chuck it. Yeah. fifty-one times a game. <laughs> Joey Harrington, that's such a random pull. You're welcome. Go Ducks. Um, NCAA football, two thousand three. But with like with this offense, he's able to do things that he does well, and I think you know again talking about like with same thing with Daniels is you. He's not a guy who can full field read. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy who's going to look and go, all right. Like Deckers is that guy Deckers, whether it's right now or next year, by the time he figures it out of like how to read, like he's got the capacity to do it, to go check one, check two, check three, throw four, like to do that in two and a half seconds. Adrian Martinez isn't that guy. So what they're doing is they're able to get him in positions where it's read one, read two, run and, and, or play action, read one, read two, throw it away. Like he's not doing these full field reads that Scott Frost has or was doing of saying like, all right, you have to survey the whole field and every play in theory works, but in practice, this guy can't process that so fast. But he's athletic, he's accurate when you give him a, a an easy read, like when he knows where he's going with the ball, the ball gets there. But he just doesn't in, at Nebraska. He didn't know where it was going.
0: Yeah, I can just appreciate a kid who or a guy who played through a scenario where he had just about everything. Go against him. That could possibly go against him. Like quite literally, everything that could go against him went against him at Nebraska. To see him have some success, that's pretty cool. You know, that speaks to why the transfer
1: portal is a good thing. I think for sure, and it's it's the right it's the right fit for the right kid. Mm-hmm. And he was able to find the right fit for him because he was able to like give himself a chance. Uh, last things. Uh, last thing, guns up, man, guns up. Same old horns. There is nobody in the country that's not a Texas fan that was upset that they lost. Who would be
0: shocked to learn that Texas took Alabama to the wire on Big Noon kickoff on Fox in, what, week two, and then lost to Texas Tech in the first game of the Big 12?
1: That's, like, the most Texas thing. That's they, we, exactly what we could have we, expected. We called that. You know, yeah. like, on the radio or on the, the pregame show on Saturday, you're saying, like, oh, man, what happens? And like, don't be shocked if Texas Tech wins yeah. because Texas – when they're interested, Texas is like a seven-year-old <laughs> where like if, if you give them something that's enjoyable and a lot of attention, like they're going to do their best. Like they're going to live, they're going to thrive in that. But then when they have to do like their math homework, like you got to do your times tables or your additions tables mm-hmm. or whatever common core has learning math now. you get, And you have to sit down and practice like the uncomfortable, boring things. Like he's going to pull out his phone and watch slime videos, you know, yeah. like in the middle of doing homework that's texas
0: yeah texas needs like the kyler murray contract uh stipulation in there that he's got to do
1: his homework yeah you have to you can't play call of duty all the time yeah Yeah. you can't play call of duty while you're trying to
0: study your game film yeah uh i did think it was interesting that uh when the game was on the line and there was in the clutch and and texas needs somebody to make a big play did you see who stepped up uh that's tariq milton it was was wasn't it Xavier Worthy or one of those other superstar receivers that Texas has signed over the last several years? It was a graduate transfer from Iowa State
1: who just does the the little things right. Yeah,
0: just does the little things right. All right, man. You got anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I got to give a shout out.
1: Okay, like got to give a shout out to. uh So my anniversary was Tuesday, and we got married in South Carolina in the like in the Myrtle Beach area, and. I was talking to Brent Bloom about it a while ago and he's like, I actually, I know a guy who's out there and his name is Jim Huntoon and he's the, uh, he's one of the facility directors at heritage country club Mm -hmm. and like avid cyclone fan, avid cyclone fanatic consumer brought back or gave me hats to give to the rest of the cyclone fanatic crew. Uh, also we got to play at heritage, which is a beautiful course. So if you're ever down in the Myrtle beach area, dear listener, go to it because you're supporting cyclones. And also it's just a beautiful course. Um, and I was like, is there anything that you want me to do to like publish? He's like, no, man, I just am an avid listener, uh, j- avid consumer of the product. So like shout out to, shout out to Jim Jim uh, with Heritage Country Club. Did you meet any cock fans while you were down there? Uh, you you kind enc- of encounter them as you're at restaurants. Yeah. It's just like a go cocks sign, which is, it's like really weird that that's a thing. Like, that it hasn't evolved past I just love that. love their cocks down there, man. I don't and know. And, like, go cocks. Like, just put the word game in front of it, and it's less weird. But I feel like that's the point now, to, like, make it weird. It feels like one of those things, like, in 1903, like, that wasn't a, a pejorative, like... Joke. Joke. Yeah. And so they're, like, you know, they're big fans of the cocks. And it's sort of like, our bullies are the toughest boys. And now, like, if you were to say, like, our bullies are the toughest boys, you're like, what well, are you being... You know, a weird pedophile statement, statement to say. So like that, it hasn't like changed a little bit like the, oh, that's, that's the statement that gets you to rub your eyes. It's not, have you go, seen the, have it's you, not did, go cocks.
0: Did you see the controversy with uh Sergo spur or whatever his name is? Oh the, yes. The, the chicken. Yes. yes. Well, sorry. He's a game cock. He's a game uh, cock. He's not a chicken. Well, I mean, are, do they actually like make game, like are game cocks even a thing? Isn't that like fighting chickens? I don't know. I think that's word. Yeah. I don't know. He's a chicken. It's all. That's all <laughs> he's a cock. He's a cock. All right. Just like Chris Williams is a cock. <laughs> him, and, uh, hey. him and his mom. You know, big cock fans down there from South Carolina. All right. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.